You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Mindy, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Hi, this is Ted, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Hey, this is Mr. Wow, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. This is Joel, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have a profound but very short question today, and it is, what is the connection between financial independence and beer? So we're going to have our group of four panelists go through and give us a quick introduction, and then we're going to jump right into this deep question. Mindy, can you take us off first, please? Sure. Hi, my name is Mindy Jensen. I am the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast and the community manager for biggerpockets.com. I am super excited to be here, and I love beer. Yeah, we all have our beer, so we'll look forward to seeing which one you chose. Joel, how about you? Yeah, my name is Joel Larsgaard. I'm the co-host of the How to Money podcast with my best buddy, Matt. We drink a beer every episode and talk about our favorite financial topics of the week. Wonderful. Thanks for coming out. Mr. Wow? Hey, I'm Mr. Wow. I'm the lesser half of Waffles on Wednesday, where we blog about things that pertain to our life, financial independence, among other things, including breakfast and beer. So I'm super excited to crack this thing open. Can't wait. Last but not least, Ted, can you give us a quick intro, please? Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Ted Carr, and I have a blog, a YouTube channel, and a podcast all under the moniker Retire Hobby. And in my podcast, it's actually two segments. The second segment is focusing on craft beer. All right. So I think we should start with Ray. Ray, why don't you tell us what beer you brought tonight? And let's see if you can crack it open with your mic and make that beautiful sound that we tend to hear on Ted and Joel's podcast. All right. So I brought, it's called Frost in Space. It's a mold, M-U-L-E-D, apple cider, hazy IPA. So let's crack this bad boy open and see how it looks. Ooh, it's Whoa, foaming. that was good. Don't waste it. Pour it in the glass. I'm trying my best. And it is tasty. It is definitely tasty. All right, Ted, I think you already opened your beer, but what do you have for us tonight? Well, I have from Bells in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Hop Slam Ale. It's a double IPA that's a seasonal beer that's released every January and 10 ABV, 70 IBUs, 
It's brewed with a little bit of honey to mitigate the bitterness, and it's absolutely delicious. Great beer scores at a 100 out of 100. Wow. Is this one a regular in your household? It's seasonal, so it's a regular from January through March. Joel, help me understand this. How many times can you do an IPA? Can there be like a triple or a quadruple IPA, or do we end at double? Triple's pretty much the max usually, and some of those triples, actually Dogfish Head has one that gets up to 18%. You don't really want to get too far past that territory or... Yeah, you're getting into some odd tasting beers. So triple IPA is pretty much the max. Tell us what you got today, Joe. Open it if you haven't. So today on the show, I'm drinking a beer called Nothing Left to Give. And it's by Orpheus Brewing. They are in Atlanta. This is a sour ale with tons of raspberries in it. And it kind of tastes like raspberry jam. It's super good. Yeah. What is it with you and the sour ales? Didn't, wasn't one of them I heard you talking about like a lambic or something? I mean, you're starting to use technical terms that I just don't get. Yeah, I'm that into beer. I'm one of those people that Budweiser makes fun of in their commercials because I kind of waft the scents up to my nose and all that stuff. I think sour beers are one of the best and most interesting styles and especially fruited sours. You've never tasted a raspberry until you've had a beer with raspberries in it. You just haven't had that full effect of the fruit, I don't think. So this beer has tons of raspberries in it and it's absolutely delightful. I actually love the fruity beers, but some of my friends have questioned my manhood after I bring them around to our deal. <laughs> I had to stop doing that. Mindy, what do you got for us tonight? I think the world of Joel Larsgaard, but I am 100% in disagreement with him over these sour beers. I think they're disgusting. <laughs> I have from the Four Noses Brewery in Broomfield, Colorado, something called El Jefe con Leche, which is an imperial stout with coffee, vanilla beans, cinnamon, and lactose. It is a 7.8 ABV, and I don't have any idea what those IBUs are because the can doesn't say. So, sorry, Ted. But it's very delicious. If you like an imperial stout that doesn't just bowl you over, this is delicious. So, let's see if I can get this open without spilling it all over everything. So, El Jefe con Leche is the boss with milk, and this is a... Thank this, you for translating. This is a lactose beer. I mean, I hate to tell you in my old age, beer does sometimes give me gas, but a lactose beer specifically would, would not treat my stomach well. Ah, uh, you just got to drink a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I was about to say the rest of my family might not appreciate it, but I'll be feeling no pain. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is a really, really smooth imperial stout. When I see Imperial Stout, sometimes I'm like, ooh, is that going to be good or is that going to just like put hair on your chest? And this is really, really smooth, hair-free. Ted, as she says hair-free, this reminds me, did you like have to go to school to learn how to describe beers correctly? Because I always knew like when we talked about wine, people talked about the bouquet, et cetera. But I've listened to you guys and you get pretty descriptive on your beers. Where do those adjectives come from? From uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that answer. Do you Google the beer or do you just Google flowery well, words to describe beer? Well, you know, I have one of those vocabularies where words come out and I don't know where they're coming from. But with regards to my education, it's all self-taught. I started at a very young age. Self-taught about the business of beer and the pleasures of beer. And when it comes to being unnecessarily eloquent and effusive, I guess it just comes naturally to me. Yeah, I guess that's good for describing beer and that's good for podcasting. So you're doubly good there. I'm going to describe mine. I have a half acre daisy cutter, which is a pale ale. It's from Chicago. I am not a big pale ale guy, which that's a bad thing in this company. But let me see if I can open this, not make a mess. and actually make the sound. Hold on. So what do you got, Paul? 
Okay, I have from Lost 40 Brewing, which is the local to Little Rock, Arkansas, where I live. Mm. And it is a Belgium style blonde ale day drinker. So it's very light, only 4.8. It's kind of late at night where this is evening time. So I want to take it easy. So I'm going to give it a go here. Ooh, tied for second place. That was pretty good. (laughs) Who has the highest ABV here? I think mine was 5.2 or something. I'm 7.8. Dang, 10. He has 10. Ted is a 10? What's yes. the deal? Has the ABV been going up and up over the years as people make more and more of these craft beers? I think so. I think that's been a trend with the West Coast IPA starting it. I think it's just, you know, companies have been uh, in competition to brew a hoppier and hoppier beer. And the more hops you add, it just tends to get more high on the ABV scale. As Joel was saying, yeah, uh, the triples are, are out there and uh, people are just trying to outdo each other. And uh, at some point, you've got to say, you know, 10 is more than enough, you know? Yeah. So for those of those who aren't uh, beer aficionados, what is ABV? Alcohol by volume. And Joel, when you go up in the scale, does it change the taste? Yeah, as you go up typically by alcohol, you will often taste that alcohol, especially in an IPA. I feel like the higher the ABV, the more alcohol flavors you're actually going to get out of it. They can be masked in lower ABV beers. And I think what Ted said is totally true about high ABV beers, but there's actually been kind of a trend more recently to kind of going back towards creating low ABV beers with massive amounts of flavor, just to kind of show you that you don't have to drink a 4% Budweiser in order to stay low alcohol, but have high volumes of flavor. There are so many good beers that are low in ABV, but that aren't O'Doul's, right? That aren't 0% non-alcoholic beers. And so that's what I've been into. And that's actually what a lot of the sour beers like I'm drinking tonight uh, have to offer. They have a ton of flavor packed into something that you can actually drink a couple of and, and not feel the effects very much, which is nice. The other part about that is uh, they have a new thing and it's relatively new, at least from what I've been used to, is the uh, session IPAs, right? And so they tend to have the same flavor as an IPA. So if you like that really hoppy, bitey beer, you can go get a session IPA, which usually runs 4 to 5%, which is about your blood, blood light, those kind of things. I would like to reach out to all brewers who are listening to this and say, please make lower alcohol beers. While I love my high alcohol beers, I don't like to get drunk. I enjoy the flavor of the beer. I want to have the flavor of the beer, but the non-alcoholic beers don't taste that great right now. And they don't have any non-alcoholic stout. I kind of don't drink anything else but stouts and porters. And, you know, it's really tough to uh, not have more than, you know, one or two and not get drunk. And I don't want to be drunk. I don't enjoy that feeling. So I still want to enjoy the beer, but I don't want to be drunk. So please make four, three, two delicious beers. Would you take that to the extreme? I mean, if the taste was good, would you go non-alcoholic? Absolutely. I really don't like to be drunk. I'm in the same boat with that. I think low ABV beers are awesome. I like having being able to have one or two, but if I'm in that 10% range like Ted is tonight, man, I'd be stuck at one for sure. Isn't that what Coors is, Ted? Isn't Coors like a non-alcoholic beer? You know, when it comes to not enough of beers or three, two beers that they used to have in Utah, I enjoy the flavor of these beers. And I think sometimes you have to accept the consequences of imbibing a little higher ABV in order to get the flavor of the experience. And for example, in one of my recent podcasts, we tasted a bourbon barrel aged imperial stuff from Goose Island that had been aged for two years. The ABV at the start when it was brewed in 2017 was 141 Wow. And aging doesn't necessarily make a beer better. It just makes it different. And it was absolutely smooth. You know, when we tasted the aged version, it was smooth. You could drink it, you know, very nicely. A little bit of bourbon vibe without having a high proof, you know, drink. But like Joel was saying earlier about the Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA, 
I actually ended up pulling that out because you could taste the alcohol. In my aged beer, the uh, Goose Island, it was so smooth. You could just sip it and enjoy it over a period of time. So that kind of helps offset the effects of drinking high AB beverages. You don't just chug it like you would after mowing the lawn with a, a chorus, right? So, Ray, it seems like every time we get together at a meetup or a gathering or at a FinCon, people are surrounding the beer. It's not hard alcohol. It's not wine. It's not stogies. It's not coffee. It's beer. What's the connection? I mean, why at these get-togethers does it seem to be the beers and maybe more specifically even the craft beers? I mean, going back to the discussion we were just having, you have a, a lower alcohol content, so you can also socialize a little bit more. So, and because there's a lower alcohol content, but more volume, you can hold it in your hand longer. It takes longer to drink. It's more filling, those types of things. At least for me, when you're drinking like a mixed drink, a hard mixed drink, it tends to hit you a lot harder. You know, it comes in a martini glass, it comes in a highball glass, it's a lot more alcohol in it. Sometimes they're not as pleasant to drink. I mean, depending on what you're at, a lot of times they have a lot of sugar in. And so that kind of thing, it tends to lend itself more towards a social thing. As far as the craft beer, quite honestly, I think it's part of the kind of trend in our economic state right now where we're kind of going back to the ma and pa type stores and a lot of like home crafted stuff where people take a lot of pride in what's coming from their neighborhood and they like kind of unique things that aren't mass produced and you'll see that all over the place with Etsy and kind of these other types of things that are popping up that are you know small ma and pa shops that are bringing these things and so I think that's part of it and I think it's also that it's cheaper than say appreciating wine or whiskey or anything else. Mindy, you guys somehow, you and Carl got marked as the people who run the beer party at FinCon. And I was told when I went to shop for my beer for the beer party at FinCon that I couldn't like, I had to get like a cool IPA or I had to get a crafty type beer. Like how did this get started? And do you now feel like you're known for this? I don't know that we're necessarily known for it. I just really enjoyed the party. It started in 2015 at FinCon Charlotte. Mr. Frugalwoods and Carl had been talking online just about beer in general. And Mr. Frugalwoods is a very enthusiastic beer geek. And he likes all of these little craft beers and the IPAs and blah, blah, blah. And he lives in Vermont, which has a lot of great breweries that don't ship to where we are. And we were in Colorado and we have a lot of great breweries that don't ship to where he is. So we brought some to like share with each other. Hey, try this, try this. And we added, you know, a few more people as you start talking. They're like, oh yeah, I really like craft beer too. Physician on fire. And I cannot remember who was at that particular FinCon, but it just kind of grew. And then the next year we add more bloggers to the conference and we bring them in. So it started off as just, hey, bring your favorite local beer to FinCon, because you can pack a six-pack of cans in your clothes, and they ship just fine. You could probably get away with bottles. I've never had a bottle break in my suitcase. I did have a bottle of Dark Lord Days break in my specific beer carry-on that was, or not carry-on, you have to stick it under the, the plane, which was heartbreaking because it was Dark Lord from Three Floyds out in Munster, Indiana? Indiana. Where is that? Yeah. And Dark Lord Days, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, you probably all do, but for those of you listening who don't know, Three Floyds is this really amazing brewery. They have amazing food. You go there and it's very death metal themed. Mm. And Dark Lord Days is once a year, they sell tickets to this festival and it's like $180 and you get a four pack of that year's Dark Lord beer, which is a stout or a porter. I can't remember which one. Clearly, I didn't have any because it was covered in broken glass, but... 
Yeah. So I was really sad to miss that. But yeah, they travel very well. And it's just, you know, it's something to just share. Like Ray said, you know, this handcrafted stuff. A lot of these little breweries are discovering that it doesn't really pay to ship it out to all around the, the country. They just stay in their tasting room and they sell out. Well, why do I have to pay, you know, 50% of my profits to this liquor store to carry my beer or pay them to, to carry my beer when I could just sell it for free in my own little place. So it's nice to take things that you can't get anywhere else and share them with your friends. Am I correct that Three Floyds is Gumball Head? Yes. Gumball Head and the Zombie Dust. Yes, it is. If you ever get an opportunity to go to Dark Lord Days, since you're so close, you should take it. So, Joel, I feel like the force between beer and personal finance is very strong. You guys started calling your podcast Poor Not Poor. Tell me about the original title and why you decided to change it. So the podcast was started essentially because my best buddy, Matt, who lives six blocks away from me, we decided, hey, what do we talk about when we get together? Well, we're, we're usually drinking a beer and we're talking about money, we're talking about real estate, we're talking about investing, we're talking about personal finance because that's the stuff that we nerd out on. And so we said, well, we talk about it anyway, let's start a podcast about this. And so we decided we'd have a different beer every episode and we'd talk about personal finance. And we called it Poor Not Poor because it was kind of tongue in cheek. It was P-O-U-R, like pour a beer, not P-O-O-R, like don't be poor. And essentially what our gist was, was like, let's drink a beer and we don't want to be poor. We want to live a rich life. And so that was how it got started. We decided to change the name after a while, one, because it was hard to convey <laughs> via audio. So when we're a guest on the show, it's like, oh, wow, well, how do you spell that? How do you get there? And that was difficult. And we like drinking a beer and it sets a tone for the show. We also realized that really more than anything, the show, what we're actually talking about, what we actually like talking about, I don't have nearly as many adjectives to describe beer as Ted does. I wish I did. I just like drinking something good. And so that's what we do. We still drink a good beer and we talk about it a little bit, but more than anything, we love talking about finances while we drink good beer. So that's why we changed it. Yeah, Ted, that makes me think of you because in your podcast, you talk about finance and you talk about beer, but you spend a pretty good segment talking about beer, maybe a third to a little bit more of the show. When you guys first started, what do you think was the bigger push to talk about beer or to talk about finance? Well, I think the serious aspect of our show was to talk about personal finance and to share experience from our lives that could help guide somebody else's decisions and uh, give them some ideas on uh, uh, what worked for us and what didn't work for us. And beer was always sort of a, a separate aspect of it. It was a way to inject a little bit of levity, fun, and also to be educational. We kind of thought of ourselves as Craft Beer 101. And so we kind of initially started with progression that would help people see, you know, if you could graduate from the lighter American megasols into beers that actually had flavor, character, etc. To answer your question, it was really a combination of both, the serious and sort of the fun. And when we have a guest on, what I like about it is it puts our guests at ease, it, it relaxes them. We have them talk about their beer drinking experience. So it kind of brings us together and, I, and hopefully it brings kind of a unique character to our podcast, help separate it from the crowd. So Ray, I sometimes wonder, like craft beer to me sounds almost antithetical to personal finance, right? Craft beers can be really expensive. I saw you put in one of your blog posts that you like to cook and drink at the same time. And I think cooking at home is like one of those really frugal wins, right? I really think of that as a personal finance, financial independence tenant. Yet if you pair that with a really expensive beer on the side, it's kind of killing the effect. Do those two go together? I mean, do personal finance, frugality, and then craft beer, do they fit? To answer your question, 
I think there is a, and I don't know the technical economic quote unquote term for this, but the difference between buying a six pack of Bud Light is a six pack of Bud Light that comes in 12 ounce cans and a four pack of 16 ounce cans of really good local craft beer is probably like $8, maybe at most, right? And so I think that the difference, I guess you could call it a marginal return on your, your additional dollar spent is actually way higher if you're spending it on beer, right? Like you can get really, really good beer for maybe four or five dollars more than what you would spend for really, really bad beer. And so if you're doing that now, on the flip side, you know, when you're talking about a car or you're talking about a house or something like that, you know, you can triple a house from $300,000 to a million very easily. You can triple a car, you know, you go out instead of buying a Toyota, you buy a, I don't know, a Bentley or a Porsche and all of a sudden you're at several tens of thousands of dollars later where with, if you want to go to the highest quality beer there is, you're talking maybe tens of dollars, right? And so I think for us that appreciate it to go out there and spend that additional money and really appreciate it and get value from it, it doesn't cost that much more. And if you go by one of uh, Ted's Goose Islands and then you go by alcohol by volume, one of those equals like five or six cores. Oh, yeah. So now you're getting more bang for your buck if you want to put it that way. So, Mindy, what percentage of your allocation of your budget for food goes to alcohol, specifically beer? All of my alcohol budget goes to beer. And... I don't really budget. We do keep track of our expenses. I would say it's a reverse budget where we are now gaming our finances and we keep track of everything that we spend on a Google form that just asks questions. Where did you spend the money? How much did you spend? What day was it? And what is the category? And, you know, we made our own form. We did our own questions. I think beer is an actual category here. And we use that to see how little we can spend every month. So we don't really allocate a specific amount to groceries. We just try to spend as close to zero as possible. And we never get to zero, but, you know, we try really hard to just kind of game the system. So Joel, can you do craft beer on a budget? I know you guys did a podcast on this. Yeah, there are ways to still drink good beer and not spend insane amounts of money. And I think buying good beer in six packs is a good way to go. The one-off bottles tend to be a lot more expensive. So if you're looking at like the 750 milliliter special bottles from a lot of breweries, those are going to cost you more money than than a six pack of like a good solid pale ale or IPA from one of your local spots. So uh, yeah, I mean, I do both because I'm willing to, as you can tell from just me being on the show, like I love beers. I'm willing to spend more on beer because it is just one of those few things that I hold up in my life as an important thing that I'm willing to spend money on. But there are ways that you can save money. And my local bottle shop actually has a discount shelf. And oftentimes, some beers taste better the longer that they've been in the bottle. Not all beers. For instance, an IPA is not going to taste good six months later, but a barrel-aged stout or sour is going to taste probably better months down the road. And so I will look for those on the discount shelf and I'll stock up when I find the discount bottles. But yeah, there are definitely ways to save on craft beer, but I wouldn't recommend cutting it out of your life altogether. That's for sure. This episode of Earn and Invest is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash earn and get on your way to being your best self. Listen, a common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great, and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships 
I know because when I went to BetterHelp, one of the relationships I wanted help with was that with my father. You see, my father died when I was seven years old, and I had a lot of unresolved issues. My therapist at BetterHelp was actually really good at helping me talk about those issues and start to find answers that normally I would have tried to find with my father, but since he was no longer around, I had to find them on my own, and having a therapist was incredibly impactful in that journey. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot earn. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem. Mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money, and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes... I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. And Monarch is so customer focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Do you ever go to the extreme and like get a, a barrel or keg? I mean, do you have a kegelator at the house? No, I don't. And you know, people always ask, well, why don't you brew your own? There are a couple of reasons. One, it takes a lot of time in order to brew your own beer. And second, I feel like it takes a lot of expertise. So when you brew your own beer, I feel like I would probably have to pour the stuff down the drain for the first few batches at least, because I'm used to drinking such good beers from people who make such amazing high quality stuff that I'd be bummed drinking my own stuff for a really long time. So that's why I don't brew my own beer. Ted, have you ever tried your hand at brewing your own beer? Because to me, that sounds like at least, you know, the major frugal hack. Now, I have to tell you, when we were in high school, I had a friend who brewed his own beer just to get around having to go buy it and being of legal age. But I could certainly see from a financial independence standpoint that brewing your own beer is probably cheaper if you could do a good job at it. Right, Ted? That's a very big if. You're talking to someone who has absolutely no manual skills whatsoever. I'm not crafty. I'm not artistic. So if I tried to brew beer, it could have detrimental consequences to my marriage, to my health, (laughs) my budget. So I'm smart enough to know, don't go there. 
Ray, so, have you ever tried your hand? Yeah, so we did. I'll say it came out awful. It was awful. It tasted a bit like pizza crust. But I will say, like, what we did is we got the gallon bookshelf brewing. So if you screw it up too horribly bad, it's only a gallon's worth. So it's not that bad. So we're just kind of messing with it and playing around with it just to kind of get a gauge for it. I will say it's quite labor intensive. And when you do it once, it's kind of eye-opening the work that goes into making a six-pack. <laughs> and you, you appreciate the $12 that you spend to go get a, a good six-pack of beer. So I always thought that a really cool company or business or like idea would be to have a nano brewery where you could go and learn how to brew with somebody who already knows what they're doing and can give you tips. And then, you know, you take a class, you sign up for it, you do the whole thing at their place with their materials. Because have you ever tasted a beer where you're like, whoa, they need to clean the lines? You know, that really is disgusting. So you go to some place where they've got it all. You take the class, you make your own beer, and then you taste it. And they're like, hey, we've got this tasting room. This tastes really good. Do you want to put it in our tasting room? That could be a really cool idea. If somebody wants to come to Colorado and do that, that would be awesome. So there's a couple of places like that in Southern California that don't necessarily have a tasting room of them, but you can go in and brew with a brewer that will lead you through this process and like help you and all this stuff. And then they ferment it and then you come back and taste it. But while we were in South Africa, there was a place that did just that which was really awesome. So you go in and brew it. And then if they like it and it meets their request, you go in and you pay a certain amount and you brew like three, five gallon kegs or something. And you get to keep one and they get to keep two. And if they like it, then they actually put it on tap at their bar. And then you go in and buy the local stuff that was brewed by local people. It was really awesome. It was really, really cool. Joel, when it comes to beer, then is it craft or crap? Or is there such thing as non-craft beers that are still good? So then we're touching on what is craft beer too at the same time. And some of these craft breweries like Sierra Nevada and Sam Adams, they're getting to the point where they've had to kind of raise the limits on what's considered a craft brewery. And now they continue to fit in the guidelines, although they're becoming less and less like craft breweries. And I would say, in my opinion, Sierra Nevada still remains at heart very much a craft brewery. They're still putting out a lot of really good beers. But when you look at a brewery like Sam Adams, I don't feel like at heart they are a craft brewery. They might meet the guidelines based on how many barrels of beer they're putting out in a year, but their beers, to me, don't actually taste like craft beers for the most part. And so I would say it completely depends. Typically, the best beers that you're going to get are going to be hyper-local. They're going to be from the really small guys. And it's really rare, actually, that you're going to find a beer that competes on that level of quality on the bigger scale from a brewery that that even distributes into a couple of their states. That's changing. Some of these regional craft brewers are still really good, but I feel like the best beers I have are typically from really small brewers that maybe at most distribute into one other state. And it's not necessarily craft or crap, but it is a complete difference between incredibly fine-tuned craft beer and just kind of mega conglomerate bigger craft beer. What is it about these small breweries that does it? Is it the small batches? Is it the local products? Is it the decreased length of distribution? Like, what is it about, about the smaller guys? Yeah, it's all of the above for sure. And I think it too, it's, there's a certain craftsmanship that when it's one or two or just a small team of people working on it, that it just changes when you get to a certain level of size and you have more people touching the product, more hands on deck more people involved in the whole process altogether. And so, you know, some of the big guys like Modern Times out of San Diego, 
killer. But they're getting pretty big now too, and their beer's changing a little bit at the same time. It's changing, but they're not playing it safe. No, they don't play it safe just because they're getting bigger. I mean, I don't think that you can punish somebody for getting popular. But when you taste a Sam Adams beer, you're like, wow, that's safe. That's not going out on a limb. That's not trying anything new. There's no risks involved at all. Carl and I were just talking about this the other day. Why do we, we live just down the street from Left Hand Brewery and they make some very delicious beers that they only have in their tasting room that are a lot more out on a limb or unsafe. They're not playing it safe at all when they're, they're making these, you know, Russian Imperial stouts that are bourbon barrel aged and they have all these different flavors in them and they're really delicious. So I think that they need to change the definition of craft brewery because absolutely left hand is still a craft brewery, even though they're making, you know, I don't know what the definition of craft brewing is. It shouldn't be how many barrels you're making. It should be what kind of beer you're making. You're making good beer that tastes delicious. You're not making, I'm sorry, but Budweiser doesn't taste good. Miller Lite doesn't taste good. Those are safe beers. You can drink a lot of them and not worry about flavor. On the note of left hand, like I would never know that left hand is making interesting beers at the brewery because all I get from them here in Georgia are the same beers that they've been producing for years and years and years. And they're kind of stale. They're kind of the same. Like I would never pick up left hand beer at my store. But that is definitely the case with a lot of breweries now, right? Where they are experimenting only in-house. And that's the only place you can get some of those unique beers. And then the stuff that hits distribution is kind of their home run hitters that they've been distributing for a while. But that makes sense too, because, you know, what if they take a chance and it's, you know, oh, it's okay. And they're not brewing like massive batches of these chancy beers. They're brewing just little bits of these chancy beers. And then they try it out and, oh, maybe that'll come out in a bottle, you know, by you in two years. Yeah, part of the question, you know, is are they in it for the passion or are they in it for the money? Because when you homogenize your taste a little bit, you have more mass appeal, right? So like the Bud and the Millers, et cetera, they have huge markets. So I could see why some of these brewers are going for a little bit more of the mass appeal because they see it affects their dollar signs. Mr. Wow, are there any guilty pleasures, beers that you're not so proud of that you drink when no one's looking? I love Yingling. Yingling's got a a special place in my heart. I went to college in Pennsylvania, and it's the oldest brewery in the United States. And yes, you could argue that it's maybe a step above, or according to me, several steps above Bud Light or Miller Light. But I've got a special place in my heart for Yingling, especially because since we can't get it on the West Coast, so whenever I go home, it's the first thing I drink. And that green bottle is just so beautiful. just can't get over it. Speaking of Yingling, Ted, have you ever reviewed a beer on the show and hated it? Like, drank it and like, oh my God, this is horrible? Yes, yes, several times, unfortunately. And uh, it's always a shock when you find a beer that has been built up and uh, it, it doesn't meet your expectations. And there's a whole class of beers that uh, is relatively new called Brewed IPAs. And uh, there's a brewery in Gilbert, Arizona called um, Nine West. And I purchased a can, a 16-ounce can of their Brewed IPA. And it was like $9 for a can. And we tasted it. And uh, it was absolutely disgusting. It was supposed to be the champagne of beers. Now, that's Miller Highlights. This Brute IPA is supposed to be very dry on the finish and uh, still get the great flavor. And uh, it was absolutely the worst beer I had tasted. But now I'm kind of on a crusade that when I go out and have a taste, if they brew a Brute IPA, taste it just to see if there's, if I just happen to find the world's worst Brute IPA here in Gilbert. And I was in Houston, Texas, where there was a brewery called Eight Wonders. And I tried their Brute IPA in a little sampler. It was actually quite good. 
So to circle back to the question, yes, unfortunately, we do taste beers occasionally that don't meet our expectations. And we just tell people the way it is because we don't want to steer people towards something and say, well, Brute IPA is the greatest thing and go out and try it. We're saying, caveat emptor, be careful. You know, Brute IPAs so we tried have sucked. So you don't taste the beer before you bring it on the show? Well, not all the time. You know, sometimes it's our favorites and sometimes it's, you know, something we've, you know, tried in advance, but sometimes it's something we're trying new. We're sharing that experience with our audience. And so if we find something that's revolting, they're going to be <laughs> right there with us when we spit it out. And Joel, do you always try the beer beforehand or do you just sometimes do it the way that Ted does it? Yeah, it's always the first time or it's a beer that we've had before that we're having on again. But Fortunately, man, a lot of our listeners send us beer too. So we have it on the show and we check it out. But they also know our taste buds, which is kind of cool. And they usually send us pretty good stuff. We haven't really had any terrible ones yet, which is good. Mr. Wow, let me ask a more serious question. When we talk about booze content, I sometimes wonder, as fun as this is, do we tie these things together that maybe we shouldn't? I mean, we are talking about alcohol here. I think for all of us, we feel very in control and feel this is an okay thing and it's fun. But there's also a part of the personal finance community that goes to minimalism and talks a lot about doing no alcohol months and things like that. Are we taking things too lightly sometimes? I think part of this whole FI journey is based on self-control. And so exercising self-control in all aspects of your life, I think is a good practice. Whether that's booze, whether that's going out shopping, whether that's overindulging on ice cream, whether it's any number of things, I think that's self-control. And I think there is some element of joy in deprivation. So when you deprive yourself of something, you tend to appreciate it more. And so if you don't actually hit the reset button ever, you end up you know, constantly kind of feeding the monster and you need more and more and more. So if you completely purge your system of something, you tend to appreciate things more. And that tends to be pretty pervasive in the fire community, at least as, as how people look at things. Yeah, I want to start with Joel and then I want to go to Ted. Do you guys ever get criticism for talking about alcohol and personal finance? Anyone ever write into your podcast or your blog and say, hey, you know, not cool. We need to stay away from the alcohol thing and focus more on the personal finance? Yeah, I've had a couple of people reach out in a kind fashion, at least, and just say that that was their least favorite part or a part that they just don't get much value out of, or some people even kind of admitting maybe struggles that they've had with alcohol or a DUI from a family member in the past that really affected their lives. And I take those things really seriously. Alcohol, there are a lot of terrible issues that can come from alcohol drinking too much. So we try to toe the line of moderation for sure. It's very important to us for people to realize why we drink, that it's not about getting drunk, drinking too much. For us, it really is about the amazing sensory abilities of drinking a really finely made craft beer. It is all of that that goes into it that fascinates me and that I get so much joy out of. And so we try to talk about that often. But yeah, we definitely have gotten some feedback. But for us, it's kind of our shtick. It's kind of our thing. It's the thing that we're into. And I think it also at least just puts the audience at ease knowing they're coming into a personal finance podcast where it's two guys drinking a beer. It feels just a little more approachable. So yeah, that's why we do it. Ted, same question for you. Do you ever get any negative feedback about the alcohol aspect? No, fortunately, we haven't received anything that's been derogatory or um, accusatory. All of our guests have had a really great time with the beer segment of our podcast. And I think the way we have our podcast set up is such that 
if you really are anti-alcohol, you're not into beer or whatever, just listen to the first segment on retirement lifestyle and health and <laughs> maybe contradictory and personal finance. So if you don't want to listen to the beer stuff, we have it set up so you don't have to listen to that part. So fortunately, we haven't had anybody you know, really come down on us. And I echo what Joel said about the seriousness about alcohol because it's played a, a big role in, in my life. And so I'm very much in tune with the detrimental aspects of people abusing alcohol. So uh, I just want to acknowledge that point. We don't promote excessive drinking. It's all about just having fun, relaxing, and celebrating life. And I'd also like to add, I think when we talk about drinking, especially at get-togethers and functions, it's really easy to forget that those are kind of once a year or twice a year, even three times a year things, but that we're not sitting around drinking six packs every night at the house. So I think we see the joy of beer as part of the process of also talking about personal finance. We pull out a beer and drink with friends and talk about our lives. And part of that is personal finance. And so I think for a lot of us, uh, we can bring those joys together. It's not the joy of being drunk. It's not the joy of over-consuming. It's the joy of a good tasting beverage, something a little more refined and speaking about our finances. And I, I think that pulls us all together. Yeah, I think you nailed it there because so much of what I found about the financial independence movement and the people that I have found as a part of this community has been the friendship. And when you enjoy connection with somebody, it's fun to enjoy something sensory with somebody else. You have a good dinner, you have a good cocktail or, or a craft beer at a party. It's a good time. And so I would like to give each of you a chance to kind of bring this conversation around to the culmination of the question of what is the connection to financial independence and beer or however you like to have connection with your friends. We'll start with Mindy. I think that the connection, it's a small splurge. I think this four pack of my four noses, El Jefe Con Leche was $12 or $10. So that's like two or $3 a beer. And it's a small splurge. I don't drink a lot of them, but it, it's so rich. It's so delicious. It's a nice, thick imperial stout. It's, it goes very well with my homemade meal that cost me a dollar. So my whole meal is now, you know, $3 or $4 and it's still not breaking the bank. You know, it's just a nice little indulgence that I have. I don't really care about fashion. I don't care about, like, I don't get my hair done a lot. I don't do all of these things. I don't buy electronics and all the stuff that everybody else does. I don't do that. It's not something that really makes me, you know, it doesn't make my heart sing. I like a good coffee. I like a good beer. And sharing it with others is just, it's nice to connect over something that you both enjoy and you both like really enjoy. I don't bring out my beer like this with my friend Van because she doesn't really drink. She might have a glass of wine, but she mostly just drinks water, like sparkling water. And that's great. This isn't something she would enjoy. We talk about other things, but when I can talk about something like this with somebody, you know, the wows come over and we definitely crack out the beer and we have a nice conversation about the beer about, you know, and it just kind of flows and it's great. All right, Mr. Wow. Same question to you. So we host our Southern California meetup the first Saturday of every month at a local brewery. And I think there's an element to getting around and having a beverage and just talking. 
I think we hit on that earlier and just having that social interaction. And again, like this isn't to say that alcohol needs to be involved to have a social interaction. It's just not the case, but you can get together and everybody can kind of appreciate and, and try something new and kind of talk. And quite honestly, as you have a beer, I mean, they call it socially lubricated for a reason, right? And so you get a little bit more open, you can talk about things and it tends to lend itself to being a little bit more open and being a little bit more honest and kind of talking about personal finance, which tends to be a very taboo topic. So to kind of break that shell, it might take a beer to do that. And that's just the kind of the way we look at it. And it, it tends to work out fairly well and we just enjoy it. Joel, how about you? I feel like there are only really a few things in my life that I prioritize that cost more money than normal, right? Than what normal people might purchase. It's not a car. It's not a home. Most of the things I enjoy in life are pretty inexpensive. It's time with friends and family. And you know, I want as much time to enjoy those free things as possible. But one of the things that I've found myself enjoying more and more over the years is good beer. And I just found that I couldn't tolerate bad beer <laughs> after a while. And so I do make a line item in my budget to have more good beer in my life. And that's just, man, that's just one of the things I've found that moves the needle in a major way. And I know that some personal finance experts will say, don't drink a latte, that's going to kill your budget or this or that. And there's a lot of telling people exactly what they need to do and what they don't need to do. And I think when you can step back and actually write down the values that you hold for yourself and find the things that move the needle for you that are meaningful for you. If craft beer is on that list, you know, you can't do everything, right? But if craft beer is on that short list of things that make the cut, it's more than okay. And it's definitely there for me. As a percentage of your budget, do you know how much uh, it goes to beer? I'm not sure the exact percentage, but I will say my wife and I each have a small portion for, for each of us, 50 bucks. Yeah, we talk about value a lot in this community and how being a valueist is what I've heard the Choose FI guys coin that kind of term before. And that seems like this is a lot of what we're talking about is the value that we get out of a small splurge. No doubt. Ted, we'll turn it back to you. Last question. What's the connection to financial independence and beer? Well, one of the things that I see is the craft beer movement is really inviting. It's warm. People are supportive of each other. It's educational. Uh, no one's pretentious. And then in the financial independence community, I see the same thing. People are supportive. They're helpful. They want to share knowledge. And they just want to help each other get ahead. And so those two areas, I think, parallel one another and have that in common. And then they intersect. It's just a synergy when the craft beer movement intersects with the financial independent movement because there's just so many aspects of each movement that are so positive, that are so enlightening, so helpful for your development. And so I just find financial independence and beer to be natural fit. Wonderful. I'll give each of you a chance to promote yourself and ask you the question, what is up next in your life? And Ted, I'll go right back to you. Where can we find you and what's up next? Well, I'm at retirehobby.com and there you can find links to my YouTube channel as well as um, my podcast. And what I'm doing now, I'm approaching season three of my Retire Happy podcast, and I'm trying to come up with an idea for a series as opposed to discrete episodes. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's a serial and case closed. They're murder kind of things. So I can't do a retirement murder series. I think that would be bad unless I want to become a serial killer. I've got an idea about what did you learn or are learning from work that you think you can or do apply after you stop working for paid work? So I'm trying to think of a series for season three. I invite people to give me ideas 
Yeah, so what would be sort of a, a serialized episodic version of my season three of Retired Hobby Podcast? Well, Mindy, <laughs> what kind of great ideas do you have? What's up next and where can we find you? Well, I am all over biggerpockets.com, the real estate investing website where you can learn how to invest in real estate so you hopefully don't lose money and you can follow all the laws that you would be surprised at how many laws there are surrounding real estate investing. And you don't know what you don't know. So we will teach you all of that at biggerpockets.com. I'm also on the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Every week we interview somebody new about their journey towards financial independence and get tips that you can put into use in your very own life. What's up next for me? I live, my method of investing in real estate is mainly the live-in flip. I move into a very unattractive home. I fix it up and make it look beautiful. And then I put it on the market and sell it and then move again. So we are at the end of the fix it up and sell it part. We are just putting the last finishing touches on things. We're looking at a house. There's a potential foreclosure that we hopefully can get into before it actually goes into foreclosure. Mm -hmm. We sent her a letter. She sent us an email back and we're like, ooh, let's talk. So fingers crossed that that happens. And then we will just be finishing up the house. There's little things like you put up trim and there's nail holes. We have to fill the nail holes, like caulk around the trim and the wall. It's just all those little things that you have to do. So what's up next is I am finishing up my house so I can hopefully move to another unattractive home that I can make beautiful. Always on the hunt for the next deal. Joel, what is up next for you and where can we find you? You can find me at howtomoney.com and the How to Money podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, especially if you're on your way to FI, you're working towards it and you want some of the nuts and bolts. Inspiring conversations are amazing. I love this show for that. And then if you want some of the nuts and bolts about particular topics, How to Money podcast is for you. And we'd love to, for you to check it out. And then also what's up next for me is that we're having our third baby in September. So that's the big news for our family. Wow. Congrats. Congratulations. Yay, babies. Thanks guys. Mr. Wow, round us out. What is up next for uh, you and where can we find you? So you can find us at wafflesonwednesday.com or Twitter at wafflesonwed. As far as what's up next, I really don't know. We're going to keep putting out content every Wednesday and I got a couple of things in the pipe that I'm working on, but we'll see if they ever see the light of day. And uh, in the meantime, I will continue drinking good local craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Mindy Jensen from the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Joel Larsgaard from the How to Money podcast, Ted Carr from the Retire Hoppy podcast, and Mr. Waffles on Wednesday. I wanted to thank you guys for sharing a beer with me tonight, and cheers. 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 Man, I got to go break the seal. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you keep that in. That's right. <laughs> sure. Oh, this is super fun. You guys were yeah, fun. so fun. This is we needed this. Our our, our podcast has been getting really serious lately. Yeah, it's been heavy lately, so we need to lighten it up a little bit. I needed some virtual should. drinking buddies, so this is perfect. Virtual yeah, drinking buddies. Drinking drinking a six pack before we do the podcast. It may be <laughs> has anyone done that? Has anyone done a drunk podcast? <laughs> No. Uh, not on Not that I'll admit. <laughs> yes, we have. It was bad. <laughs> Ted, you were raising your hand. Yeah, I, I said tonight. Not tonight. <laughs>
not, you're not drinking the Goose Island. I don't know. No, no, no. Me too. I hate drink before. The two before. Three ten percent ABV. I was about to say, how often do you guys end up doing? And this is for Joel and Ted. How often do you guys end up drinking, like continuously drinking after the podcast? Like, do you just sit around and keep going? Not typically, not typically. But I will say, like one time we had an Avery beer, and Mindy knows quite well. They're really close. They close by her. They have like an eighteen percent stout. And we had one of those on the show. We we even split it. We even split it. By by the end, I was like, "Are we giving good financial advice?" I have no clue. Uh, Who cares? I hope. It, I hope Who cares? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Little IPA doesn't count. <laughs> The session IPA. <laughs> session IPA. Just called recession. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Recession, there we go. recession session IPA. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the story of how Joel got a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> a very short story. <laughs> and it was all your fault, Wendy. Yes, all my fault. That might be the double IPA in your refrigerator that you come home to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you want to pull this back around to our other conversation. Have a beer, a beer fridge at work. That might help. <laughs> I used to work in a place that had that. Oh, we used to have a bar in our, our office way back when. Joel, can you hear us now? Yes, I can oh, hear okay. you now. Awesome. Did you hear us talking smack about you before? No, but I assumed that was what was going on. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you have a beer, right? Of course. Uh, duh. And you're hard pressed <laughs> to find me without a beer. And of course, you know this already, but don't open it up yet. Oh, shit. I literally did open it up and pour it in a glass already. Daggone. <sighs> Ted, did I just hear you crack your beer? Yeah, is that okay? Oh, we were trying to save it for the, uh, for the, for the actual recording, but that's okay. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll get another one. <laughs> <laughs> get loaded on the What's Up Next podcast. <laughs> We're gonna get a rap. A rap is a bad, uh, as a bad show. We are wasting. Well, I have a sound effect I'd be happy to send you. Where it is me opening a can and pouring it. While he's drinking that, I'm wondering, Ted, you ever like get the beer all over your podcasting, you know, mic and and computer? <laughs> be like the first thing I do is it would be like floating over onto my equipment. Well, I definitely got it all over my mic. So <laughs> he did. He did. Right off. <laughs> All right. Sound is great. I, I heard a little bit, but it, it was not as pretty as some of these podcasts. So far, Mr. Wiles had the best effect. Yeah. He really did. Like, that could be an actual sound effect. I was about to say, will your, like, head explode? <laughs> Typically, yeah, if you have more than one, your head will either explode or you just fall face down into the dirt. All right, yeah, which I try to avoid doing. My wife doesn't really appreciate that. Did you have trouble standing up after drinking that uh, 14? Well, that's why I'm sitting and why I'm seated this time. <laughs> I've been drinking beer all wrong then, that whole don't chug it thing. Yes, be sure you're sitting down. First things first, let me do this. Round two. Uh, Number two. <laughs> that, that was nice, said, by the way. That was beautiful. I just got on my bike, so I'm a little thirsty. So anyway, um, but you know, I mean... I don't mind getting drunk. Some of us don't like getting drunk, but you know, that's, <laughs> who would that be? <laughs> I love yingling. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and, and so, yingling's yingling's got a, a special place in my heart, even though you know, uh, I don't know. It, 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 I went to college in Pennsylvania. 
Mr. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned the, the richness of flavor in the splurge and something about, you know, that made me think of chocolate and it just wouldn't quite be the same if we all stood around just tasting chocolate at FinCon. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. I can't. <laughs> Not to mention, I think our waistlines would be much larger if we all yeah. sat around and ate chocolate. Oh, much empty calories another way. <laughs> The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.